You found the Digging Oak Island podcast, the podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. If you've been listening to and enjoying our show, please help out the podcast by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. Right before we begin this week's podcast, just want to thank Craig, who's our new patron for this week. Craig, as a uh, patron for the show, you get to come and join us for a live discussion over on the Patreon during the airing of each new episode of The Curse of Oak Island. There's a bunch of um, big fans of the show and other patrons come on and uh, discuss it as it li- as it airs live. It's probably my favorite part of starting this Patreon page. I have so much fun doing that. Uh, I'm also starting to post my old scripts and research from past historical podcasts over there on the Patreon. So if you're interested in reading about some old Oak Island history and that kind of thing, you might find that interesting. Um, So if any of that interests you out there and uh, you think this podcast is worth five bucks a month, come and join us, patreon.com slash digging Oak Island. Also have a contest coming as well of a book that I have here, a great new book on Oak Island. So everybody stay tuned for that. Again, thank you, Craig. It's great to have you as part of the Diggin' Oak Island family. So uh, we got a lot of emails this week. Didn't have too many last week, got a lot this week. So let's get right to it. Actually start over on the Patreon with a message from our friend Steve who writes, uh, it was indeed Doug and not Dr. Spooner who mentioned the piece resembling something from a small boat for what it's worth. Uh, thank you, Steve. What Steve is referring to here is there was a trapezoidal piece of wood found in the swamp two weeks ago. And then later on in that episode, we get a war room meeting where Doug says his theory of what it could be from. And he showed a picture of an old 18th century longboat, a uh, little you know rowing boat that was uh, in a museum, a maritime museum up there in Nova Scotia. And for some reason, the next week, when this trapezoidal piece of wood was brought up again, the narration said that it was brought to their attention by Dr. Spooner that it could be from a longboat. It was very strange. Don't know don't know what it was all about. Thanks for con- confirming that for me, Steve. Let's keep an eye out for anything else we might learn on that. All right. Let's go now to our friend Peter. Now, he wrote a couple of emails this week, so let me take them in order received here. Start with this one. I'm confused, he writes. We're looking for treasure, right? Did they find any? Even a ring or a gold coin? And all their drilling. Not really. But we did find air. Makes me wonder, are they going to do a massive borehole where we already know there is no treasure? Was it based just on a legend, the money pit? Uh, Discoveries of wood left by searchers who believed the legend and analysis of water that could have brought traces of silver from dozens of feet away. Or did I miss something where a drill found such old wood it had to be pre-searcher? Finally, will will these big holes tell us the difference between treasure was here but was taken away and never was any treasure? Every empty looks alike except for age of wood. Pretty flimsy evidence tonight. He's referring to last week. Copper found among uh, rocks on a beach could have washed ashore from anywhere. And that box plus valuables equals treasure box logic was annoying. (laughs) That stuff always is. Uh, Size uh, was more for a box of cigars or a metal. Peter from New Jersey. Um, Peter, let me take this step by step. First, you're totally correct. I mean, we can't ignore that, right? The entire season at the money pit up until this point was supposed to be about gathering information on where to drop these giant caissons, these giant 10-foot cans that they just started this week. 
And let me say it like this, Peter. I can certainly understand why you would think that that project of finding information on where to dig wasn't really very successful. They don't seem to be any closer to the source of the gold or silver. At least we didn't see any of that. Like we weren't seeing any testing being done on these spots or anything like that. Now, with just the seismic information that they got a couple weeks ago, perhaps they're closer to pinpointing a spot where you would dig for a vault. But we never got to see any exploratory drilling done in that one spot. <laughs> Remember, I, I've, we've criticized this a bunch, or, or we've questioned this, I think is better. Um, you know, it's hard to say from our standpoint, because what we saw was seismic data saying there's a drill here, and then dozens of feet to the east, there is this tunnel, and this is where it starts, and they only drilled at where the tunnel started. They didn't drill where the vault was. It was very strange. Uh, it, it, you know, but again, this is all probably editing. Now, your next point about whether the cans, quote, tell us the difference between treasure was here but was taken away and never was any treasure. I wish I knew the answer, but if past seasons are our guide, I'm not sure how it could tell us anything more than what was in that hole right then, right? What they found in that hole. I mean, no one goes down there and looks around. They take a giant hammer grab, pull the earth, uh, you know, up a giant hammer grab full of earth and just sort of dump it in a pile and then sift through it. And that seems what we're going to do now. So the only thing that will be able to definitively tell us at the end is whether there was or was not something in that hole where it was put down and what it looked like and where it came from. I don't know how you... I don't know how you do that, how you discover that from this process, but let's see. Um, I just I just don't think that right now, I mean, Marty said a few times today where it's time to go for the treasure hunt, right? It's hard to say at this point whether or not that means that they're actually looking for the story or they're just looking to pull up something that tells them where this gold and silver was coming from. Okay. Later in the week, Peter sent another email, this one a bit longer, and I've chopped it down for you, Peter, just a bit because uh, I'm not that good a reader. So here we go. Okay, he writes, first, love the shade you and a listener threw at HMS Swampy Theory. Another reason it seems nuts, ships were treasures, huge investments, equal to a million dollars or more today. Makes no sense just to sink one. Okay, new light on our mystery solved discussion, referring to the producer's quote I have been poking fun at. It was looking forward prediction by the producer, not a looking back declaration of observed facts. Dude didn't know. Not what he, not when he made that statement, you quote him accurately. Once they use this technology, it will solve the Oak Island mystery. He's referring to uh, the Drilling Down episode where a producer claimed that they're going to solve the mystery with this new technology. Continues. Once they use this technology, they hadn't used it yet. Uh, this isn't some look back at the whole season. It's warm. All the leaves are green. Even if the tech like the muon detectors works... It can't tell you who was involved or when or why or how much was once there no longer is. So it can't solve the whole mystery. Further, this same guy was for many seasons a writer on the show, which has made many untrustworthy and flimsy unsubstantiated claims. Uh, he even says later the water tests proved there's treasure. So I'm inclined to question his words. Now, Someone could defend the solve idea this way. For eight, reasons, for eight seasons, they've been struggling to solve the where mystery. Solve that. And there's no doubt they can dig it up. So if tech tells us where will solve becomes logical, inevit becomes logical inevitability, unless the authorities step in. 
I see your point about when the show was edited, likely after 2021's work concluded. Yes, it was. Uh, Yes, he chose to leave it in, suggesting he has no reason to regret it. We'll see. Let's hope all the mysteries will be solved. My hunch is not this season. Okay, this isn't the end of Peter's email, but I just want to stop here and interject because he goes on to a different subject. Um, I've said this a couple of times. I really think I made a bigger deal about this than I intended. I kind of find it kind of found it more funny. (laughs) You know, I accused him of being, uh, you know, dishonest and all that kind of stuff. But you you expect that out of a producer. I mean, he's trying to get people to watch the show. Right. I, I, I think like you that they did not solve the mystery. And uh, misleading the viewer is not something that this producer really has a problem with. Uh, It is what it is. I just wish they would, you know, at the worst, what I would say is I would just wish they would treat us better than that. Right. Don't you? I mean, that's really my point in all this. I know this mystery isn't solved. I know he's (laughs) he's exaggerating. I know he's full of bull, but I don't have any expectations that that he's not just because of what he said here, because I'm so used to that kind of stuff. So I just kind of wish they treated us sometimes with a little more respect than they often do. And this is just one example of that and maybe the most egregious in recent memory. Right. But in the long run. I don't really find it a big deal. You know, a lot of people make a big deal about things on this show that I really don't. Um and this is one of them. And I know I made it sound like I thought it was a big deal, but I, I, that wasn't my intention. Anyway, he continues. Half the shows are in the can, suggesting they chose to drag out a lot of minor fines because there weren't enough major ones to fill more than six or seven shows. If they go on and on about each machine arriving and what's been done before and how great this is and who's doing what and how big the wash plan is with Carmen Leg checking out more pins and joiners, time to temper expectations. I'm worried those big holes are going to find mostly wood because isn't that all their many boreholes found? The boreholes may have actually told them where not to dig big. Setting us up for Muon Tech arriving late, perhaps a cliffhanger, finally revealing where the money pit or a real offset treasure vault is or isn't. They'll tell us, I think they'll tell us, don't they have to? Keeping us hanging for months to say, sorry, no voids, no tunnels, no treasure would be too cruel. Thank you, Peter. Um, that last part goes back, I think, to the previous message, right? Did the drilling program really help in where to put these cans? Not sure it did. Not sure it gave us too much information. Uh, at this point, it doesn't appear um, that it did anything more than say to them, this is where not where the treasure isn't, right? We know that. And the problem is, we've talked about this Dunfield crater before we've talked about all of the the work that's gone before them yeah they're going to pull up a lot of wood and that wood some of that wood's going to date to be pretty old um but wood isn't treasure and if they're going to pull it up in a hammer grab out of the zone that was a dunfield crater then it's nothing more than backfill of old searcher work and uh, you know boy the way you write cliffhanger man um I don't, that really made me kind of stop and think for a moment. Yeah, you're probably right. You know, we've had a lot of these. We've had a lot of seismic scanning cliffhangers. And, you know, then we had a year where, oh, well, we found silver in this. And, you know, now the Muon technology is going to come in and they're going to find whatever that finds. 
and then we have to wait to next year to dig in it. Um, God, boy, Peter, that really sounds like what's going to happen here, doesn't it? Thank you, as always, my friend. Uh, you really kind of, you really kind of made me shrug my shoulders there a little bit. Let's go now to John, who writes, "Hi, Dave. If there is a ship in the swamp, its purpose may have been no more mysterious than it was useful landfill uh, when they were joining both islands. Using an unwanted ship in this way would have been an ideal start to the landfill. Further." Given that the potential ship is on its side, then perhaps the best way to ensure that the masts did not act as props on the land was to burn them. Cheers, John. John, that may in fact be the best explanation for such an idea if you believe in it. But what you have to keep in mind is the swamp, as far as we can tell, was not a channel between two islands. And it makes sense, right? Sea levels would have been much lower, not higher. So the area where the swamp is now would in fact have been much further from the beach than it is at this current time. And if this was two separate islands during the time where men were here, you know, and during an inhabited time, which is very unlikely, the amount of landfill required to do this job would have been miraculous. (laughs) The amount of work to do this would have been unbelievable. We think... People who believe in the um, Nolan's Cross theory think that, wow, what incredible work that must have been to move those giant boulders. I mean, that's nothing compared to the work you're proposing to put in enough landfill and scuttle a ship in an area that far off the beach. Boy, man, I just I've said this before. It's just the theory itself is just way too out there in my mind. Um, I need something to convince me first that it's even possible, which I'm always open to. Someone to tell me that this was two islands. Let's start with that. Someone with real proof that this could, in fact, be two islands. Uh, Remember, as we heard last week, the swamp is actually fed from a natural freshwater spring. And you also got to keep in mind that the road cutting the swamp from the sea was only built in the 20th century. The swamp is a lot swampier and bigger now than it was Back then, you know, uh, back then it might have just been a spring that fed a little creek into the ocean. And that's probably all it was. And then we build this road here and then the swamp gets swampier and it gets sea rise. Seawater comes up, it rises up and turns that into brackish and all that kind of stuff. Um, John, you're not wrong. I'll say this. You're not wrong that it was at least possible like that. Like if you're going to say that's the theory, then or that theory is correct, that that that's how it would be done. But the rest of the theory itself, just in my mind, just doesn't have anything to stand on. But as I always say, I am willing and eager (laughs) to be convinced otherwise. Thanks again, John. Keep those emails coming. All right. Speaking of the swamp, let's go now to Robert in Florida, who writes, absolutely love your show, especially since my wife will no longer watch it with me. We share that, uh, my friend. We share that. Oh, I'm finding I like really like your podcast more than the show. I'm not going to say I believe that the buried ship is a reality, but could some possibilities like the ones below account for the buried ghost ship? One. And he listed a couple of possibilities. Let's say they did have a treasure of monster size and weight. Hauling it via small boats may not be very possible considering its size, weight, or seas to get it to shore safely. Could they have pulled the ship to what may have been a waterway between two islands, let's say this is the case, wouldn't we expect the road built would originate the ship uh, at the ship's parked location in the waterway? 
Okay, let me stop here and go through this. I mean, I know I'm repeating myself, but let me just say this again. I don't believe any such channel could have existed. You got to convince me otherwise of that. Really, before I could ever kind of entertain this kind of stuff, it's just the simple, I mean, it makes sense. The sea would have been further away, right? It's not where it is now. Sure, in context of where it is now, you know, you might be able to say to yourself, oh, if we took this road away and the swamp's there, we can take a backhoe, we can connect the water between the two. Sure, if we dig an incredible amount, we could do that because you got to remember the tide comes up and down. Uh, but the sea would have been yards further back from the road and from the edge of the swamp that we have now. So it would have required much more work to do such a thing. Again, all the evidence I see points in the opposite direction here. Anyway, Robert continues. Two, let's say they wanted to work on the deposit and not waste time with anything else. Could it be possible that the idea was to park the ship in a waterway with easy access and use it as their homestead without leaving too much in the way of footprints left on the island? Of course, this doesn't make uh, sense with everything else considered to be done there while depositing goods. Now, as for it being a long-term hotel, I can only guess if there were if we are talking about treasure as big as what is being suggested, um, would there there would at least be two ships to make this monster project happen. This would make using one older dated ship worth junking in a very beneficial way. At that point, wouldn't much of the junk ship be used for construction purposes as well as leaving a fragment of a ship to just become part of the landscape? Okay, I'm going to interject here again. The only reason to get rid of a ship, to hide it or to burn it, would be because it is beyond repair. It, can be, it cannot be fixed anymore beyond repair. And in that case, you'd probably just sink it. You certainly wouldn't bury it, right? Um you would just scuttle it. Uh, or <laughs> in the in the theoretical, uh, it would be because you want people to believe uh, that this ship and whatever was on the ship are actually just gone, vanished, like so many ships just vanished in the ocean from a storm, just never made it home, right? There was so many of those. Does it make sense? If you're in this theory, you could tell the king... <laughs> That the ship sank in a storm. We lost contact with the ship. We were convoy blown, separated from each other, blown apart. And then that's the last we saw of them. They must have sunk. Um, so you have to get rid of it. Because then if somebody sees this ship, you know, gallivanting around the Caribbean later on, then the jig is up. Right? So, so that's why you would do that. That's the only reason why you would junk a ship. It's not something you would normally do because they were, as mentioned in a previous email, very expensive, huge investments and uh, very important. You know, anyway, back to the email three. Let's say one of these two ideas are correct. Just for the argument's sake, they're working diligently, get hit by a big storm and totals the ship to a point of disrepair. They try to fix it or they try using the tool, all the tools at their disposal. It is possible they need to dry dock the ship for repair. We have heard about facilities created for such ship repair. It's also possible the ship was beyond repair. Doubt it. These were the types of guys that could fix anything, but I can't help throwing this possibility out there. Okay. Um, 
that's very possible. It's very, very common for ships in this period that they would take a beating in a storm. You'd bring them to shore. Uh, you'd use whatever you could do around there or wherever you could find around there to make as many repairs as you can. They used to put the ships on their side on the beach and fix the, um, the bottoms of them, all this kind of stuff. Uh, but there was a limit to what you could do without a lumber yard, right? I mean, it's just there just is. There it was just a lot of times these ships would be so terribly damaged that there was just nothing you could do. There was you you you'd go to shore and you wouldn't be able to find tree big enough to fell to turn into a mast or something like that. I mean, there was all sorts of possibilities. So anyway, he continues. Like I said before, I'm not a big believer in the ship hypothesis, but I do like the thinking possibility to how or why. A lot of my disbelief is that it seems whenever the team believes something to be true, they usually prove themselves wrong. Lastly, on a general note, why would one go through so much trouble to bury treasure at such a high cost? I'm more apt to believe they would bury the Ark of the Covenant in such a way as to stop the end of days, which supposedly could possess such power, thus the reason Hitler searched for it so diligently. Look forward to your thoughts, Robert in Florida. Robert, I've said that from the beginning. I, that's a great email. Um, I don't. I've always felt that if we're really, if we believed all this, right, if we believed that they built a treasure vault 100 feet down and then, um, you know, cleared this incredible, did this incredible work in Smith's Cove, cleared this beach, filled it with seal grass and coconut fiber and created these, this elaborate flood tunnel system and how difficult it must have cost lives to do all this work, right, that it had to been something more than just money. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you know, there isn't a lot of evidence that that pirates buried treasure. There's maybe one or two instances Captain Kidd certainly did. Um, but what you did is you just buried it in a hole and then you came back and got it later. You know, I mean, you, you didn't build this elaborate vault. There had to have been some other motivation if this story is to be believed. And that's really the compelling part of the Oak Island mystery, right? Let me say this here, and I think I'm I think this gets forgotten sometimes by listeners. I love these ideas, <laughs> and I hope to God something just exactly like this is what happened. Uh, as much as I can come off as the skeptic here and maybe the Debbie Downer for the show, uh, this is what I'm here for, man. Ideas like this. A ghost ship, the Ark of the Covenant. Jeez, what a, <laughs> Robert, what a great email. Anyway. Let's go now to Eric, who writes, I love The Curse of Oak Island. It has captivated my interest since the 1980s. Unsolved Mysteries TV series brought to my, uh, brought this great mystery to my, at the time, young mind. Much like The Reader's Digest brought the mystery to the previous generation. I absolutely love the show. It indeed has its faults regarding its great efforts to fill in time between events most of us are uh, interested in, The Money Pit. My question is The Swamp. It appears to me that the swamp would inherently be a natural catch basin during the many tropical storms and handful of hurricanes the island has incurred over the years. I would be inclined to, to derive that much, if not all, of the ship material found in the swamp was indeed nothing more than funneled materials into a natural catch basin in the swamp. Like I said, I'm all in on the show. I firmly believe something happened on that island that is unexplainable and very intriguing. But the swamp, what do you think? Love the podcast. Eric, thank you so much. Um... I think that's pretty much where I am, too. You know, uh, it is possible that there is something mysterious about the swamp. You know, sure it is. Um, but the many treasure theories surrounding the swamp, uh, you know, I just haven't seen a lot of evidence for any of those yet. We know there is evidence offshore of a wharf. We saw it on aerial photography at the beginning of the season. 
None of the wood found so far in the swamp points me towards a ship any more than it points me towards a wharf. And, you know, a wharf, as I've said this a million times, is a way more plausible explanation than a buried treasure galleon. You know, it just is. So I, I really agree with you. Thank you, Eric. Great question. Okay. Uh, with that in mind, let's go to a sort of related question from Chris in Nova Scotia who writes, Hi, Dave. I love the pod and I love the Curse of Oak Island. I recently noticed something, though. Gary and the guys are often seen metal detecting the shoreline of the island, which, given the rise in sea levels, would have been much further out hundreds of years ago. Why don't they detect underwater out from the shore as well? I mean, they can maintain a causeway to the island, build a coffer dam from the shore, etc. So how could how, how would any maritime marine salvage laws apply if they do? Can they not obtain a permit? It seems to me that mostly unexplored seabed around the island could be full of artifacts. Chris in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. P.S. I live 45 minutes from the island and I've been trying to get tour tickets for years. Got any tour news for this year? Uh, first of all, in that last bit, um, I'd have no information. I, I don't I don't have any connection to the island itself. Um, I'm not the person to ask for that kind of thing. Uh, I would start surfing around social media and you could find people who would know. Uh, there is an Oak Island tour guide. I think her name is Lisa, who posts on Instagram all the time. Uh, that might be a good place to start. I remember her posting, you know, past years, the tours, when you can sign up and all that stuff. I think if you just put in Lisa Oak Island Guide, you'll find her there. Um, like I said, she's posted that information in the past. Might be worth a follow. Okay, now on to your question about detecting offshore. And there's, this relates to the wharf that we mentioned before in the aerial photography. As I understand it, um, they are permitted to dive around they're permitted to detect, they're permitted to film these dives and these metal detections, but they're not allowed to actually dig or bring anything up. I can't say exactly what the rules are, what the parameters are, but that's my understanding. I think they would absolutely do this. And they've done plenty of diving. They've done sonar scanning over the years, all for nothing, right? Because they simply can't do anything more without special permitting, which I guess they either can't get or they don't want to try to get. Um, so for whatever reason, I, I hope that answers your question. Um, I would love to get, to get to Oak Island one day, man, just like you here. I would love to. Uh, that's one of my, that's on my bucket list for sure. So I'm very jealous you live so close. Uh, but you know what? Even if they don't do the Oak Island tours, you, I think a trip up there just to do one of Tony Sampson's boat tours around the island might be worth looking into, right? They look very, very cool. He actually saved a guy from drowning off Oak Island last summer, if my memory serves, uh, when conducting one of those tours. Anyway, thank you, Chris. If you get over there, uh, send us some pictures, please. Let's go to another friend of the show, Ginger, who writes, Dave, I have a very stupid question. <laughs> That's my whole life, Ginger. Anyway, after all the years and all the drilling, I still don't know if I understand this. Here I go, sharing my total ignorance. Again, you and me both. Uh, it's about when they're drilling these holes that they bring up core samples and carry over to long tubes of mud and wood to the table in the money pit area. When they pull the plastic tube... Uh, off the drill, there is always some residual water that pours out of the tube and falls around the ground. Is this water coming up from the ground, or is this water that it used to create the hole? It's called sonic drilling. I thought sonic meant sound. It is a portion of the water used to keep the bit from overheating. When they bring up the cone, the cores, some of, the, some of them seem more wet, more dry, more packed, more loose than others, etc. 
reason I'm finally asking is when they hit those air pockets that cause water to erupt out of the hole like a geyser, does that mean that they that they would does that mean that even the open dry tunnel is now full of water because they breached the ceiling? I'm dying to know now. I can't wait until you respond on your text. Please respond soon. It's driving me crazy. Okay, Ginger, I'm going to do my best here, but this is a very, very good question, despite what you might think of it. Um, I am not a drilling expert, right? Let me start with this. Um, So I cannot tell you with any definitive response, but I know that I have some listeners out there who are. So those of you listening who can help, please write us this week and tell us a definitive answer to this. What I do know is that they do use water to help with the friction, which is what I think is the reason why even the driest of core samples look a little wet. As they pull them up, they open up their little bags there. Even The outside of every sample looks even just a little bit wet. And also, if you watch the drilling being done, you could see the water in the drill itself actually, you know, the in the equipment itself actually being used and coming out of there and the pumps going into it and all that kind of stuff. So they definitely use water to help with the friction. When the water came spewing out as a, as a result of pressurized air in the pocket or in a vault, I think we have to assume that it came spewing out And this could be water that was part of the drill. It could be water that was in there as well. But the air was pressurized. They popped the the bubble and it spewed the air out. So whatever was pressurized no longer is, right? And I think we see a little bit of that again in this episode later on, although not in this context, but kind of maybe what they might have done. That's not a stupid question at all, Ginger. Uh, I wish I had a better answer for you. Uh, I hope this helps to ease your mind a little bit. <laughs> but uh, again, if you have any answers for her, please, please, please send us an email, digginoakisland at gmail.com. Okay, let's go out to Jen in Pittsburgh. Go Buckos, who writes, Hello, Dave. As a longtime fan of the Curse of Oak Island, I have ridden a roller coaster of emotions. Starting out the gate as a curious non-believer, my leeriness slowly yet surely Faded as I began to enjoy the uphill jerk as the Laginas convinced me they were real, finding real evidence with coins, buttons, and a brooch. Don't forget a, a uh, Templar cross, too. The real thrill came as the ship-shaped anomaly took me to the top. I could totally imagine a treasure-laden galleon sailed between the two islands, not seaworthy after the booty was offloaded, then stripped of all of its usable parts uh, that necessitated money pick construction and survival. My God, it must be hidden bury it. But then the downhill thrill too soon was over. They yucked my yum. (laughs) Never heard that one before, Jen, uh, by determining it was nothing but sand. Keep that in mind, folks. She's absolutely right about that. After that, my ride was nearing a wistful end. Now only fond memories of the time spent with my hubby to only admire the workmanship of the his and the history of trestles. (laughs) On another matter, I do not know if you are correct about Robert Clotworthy stating that it was, in fact, Doug Kroll, not Dr. Ian Spooner, regarding opinion on the piece of wood from a longboat, which we mentioned earlier. But I remember reading, possibly hearing on another podcast, that Dr. Spooner enjoys sailing in his spare time. I've Googled it, can't find the article, but I'll keep looking. And now another question. Is it beneficial to your podcast to get multiple listens from the same subscriber? I hope so. I listen to your podcast as I commute to uh, do housework, fall asleep, never hearing the entirety in one listen. Thank you, as always, for an informative podcast. Jen, um, 
I don't know the answer to that about whether or not it helps. Uh, I, I'm so bad on stuff like that. Uh, but just having you listen and write in, I mean, I can't ask for any more than that, really. Uh, thank you so much. You guys, um, you don't really know how humbling it is for me started doing this just so I can spew my ideas on Oak Island out onto uh, onto tape, really, to use an old expression. And then to have so many people listening and being a part of this um, and, and, and becoming patrons. I mean, it's just overwhelming. I really can't thank you guys enough. This has been an incredible ride. Jen, you described my wife uh, to a T in that first paragraph. She was with me every episode for years, but no longer. Um, But I hope you keep listening, though. And uh, with regards to the boat thing, it was Kroll in the war room, as we've said. But later narration said Spooner. My guess is just to kind of think about this a little bit more. Might have been an editing faux pas, writing faux pas, right? Nothing nefarious. Maybe they were both there. Maybe they both went up there, you know, and it just happened to be they edited Doug's on there, uh, not Dr. Spooner's. Maybe they went together. Who knows? You know, I, I don't think it's a big deal. It was just a strange thing to, to put in there. Anyway, it's always great to hear from you. Uh, hopefully I'll get back to the Steel City this summer for some more Pirates baseball, uh, assuming we get baseball, of course. But that's another story for another podcast. My brother does a great sports podcast. If you guys are into sports stuff, kind of a weekly sports breakdown called The Sports Machine, uh, along with a great friend of ours, Matt Parrish. So if you're a sports person, check out that podcast. Uh, okay, I'm apparently generating a lot of listen, uh, listener thoughts here with my take on the swamp. <laughs> uh, so let's end up with this one. Mike chimes in as well. When you look at the actual amount of wood it took to build a 17th century ship, it would be amazing for them to find the small amount of wood they are finding. Sorry, there is no ship in the swamp. Mike. Thank you, Mike. Um, And thank you, everyone, for writing in. And if you would like to have your question answered or your comment discussed on a future podcast, just send them in. Island at gmail.com. Right, I love long listener email sections, uh, but let's get into this episode of uh, The Curse of Oak Island, Season 9, Episode 13, called Go Big or Go Home. Uh, we've got a bunch of places to go to. Let's two big ones here. So let's let's get rid of the let, let's talk quickly about the three kind of smaller ones. We start off with a war room opener um, that begins to talk about the money pit. So we'll just kind of lump these two in together here. Um, there are meeting with everyone to discuss plans for the rest of the year. Marty is leading the meeting. And I got to tell you, he's got, he's looking like a real treasure hunter. Now he's got this gold medallion, right? That his lucky toonie that he's put on a gold chain. I and mean, that is, that's something that uh, treasure hunters like to do show off what they've actually found. Um, but he also says, quote, we are about to embark on the real beginning of the treasure hunt End quote, interesting way to put it. Um, he starts talking about locations for these big caissons that they're putting in, and they're going to start with the area called D2. This is a spot over by C1. This is to the west of the Money Pit area, uh, and this is where one of those places. Uh, this is one of those places where they found gold and silver in the water. So it makes sense to kind of start over there. Um, there's an interesting talk here with Billy Gerhardt 
about working to stabilize the money pit area. And you remember, for those of you who've been watching the show for a while, remember that was an issue the last time they put one of these big cans in the ground, that they did have a serious destabilization issue over there. Um, so they're trying their best to uh, avoid that this year. Anyway, we, we move on later to the money pit area. We can see that Billy's already in the middle of this stabilizing project. They're also welding, I guess, some sort of pad into place here. It looks like a really big job. You can see sort of the darker gravel put across there. Um, it's a pretty big job. Anyway, later on, towards the end of the show, uh, we see this huge digging gear start arriving. Uh, they're really building up the tension for all this, right? And the show ends with uh, Vanessa Lacido, who owns this company, um, and she she is great. You know, they tried to kick all the women off the island. Can't kick Vanessa off. Uh, she's she she is really the person who's going to run the show, run the treasure hunt from this point forward. Um, she's got these giant caissons, this huge hammer grab. Uh, it's about to get real here for sure. Um, and Vanessa Lacido is about to play a huge role in this treasure hunt from this point forward. Uh, that's really all that happened at the Money Pits, more sort of setting the tone for the next couple of weeks. So let's go over to Lot 32 quickly. Um, Gary and Rick are detecting over here, and Gary finds an ox shoe. I thought it was so funny that Rick calls it your old friend. <laughs> uh, the Patreon discussion naturally got hilarious with uh, another ox shoe. Uh, Steve wrote, yay, Akshu. <laughs> and a couple other people wrote something about this. It was, uh, you know, it's it's starting to be sort of the, uh, it's going to be a meme soon, you know. Uh, Gary goes crazy about something he finds later. Uh, he really goes nuts about this. But then he pulls out what just looked like this sort of little piece of broken metal. They didn't follow up on it. We don't know what it is. Hopefully we'll see more of it. And the reason why I think we might is because, man, Gary's reaction was really intense. I mean, I know he overreacts to things, but he, he really got excited about this and then pulled out what looked like scrap metal. Just hard to see maybe on this picture. But uh, anyway, we'll see if we get any kind of follow up on this. If not, you know what I say? There wasn't much to it. And they were even talking about possibility of script writing on there. I just, I just couldn't see it. Anyway, if we don't follow up on it, we know what happens. We know what that means. Uh, later on in the show, he pulls out a coin an old British coin, just from, I guess, a similar area here. Um, and let me just say this about the way this was discussed on the show. I don't have any idea why finding an old British coin in the area of an old British settlement would somehow be evidence that William Phipps brought a Spanish treasure to Oak Island. Seems very, very strange to me. Wouldn't you find Spanish pieces? Um but they keep going with this William Phipps theory, which, uh, like I said last time, uh, we're going to do our best to delve in even more in the coming weeks. Okay, we're going to go now over to lot 18. Uh, there's a borehole project being moved over to here. And what they're doing now is looking for the flood tunnels. This is in between um, the Smith's Cove and the Money Pit. And uh, they're trying to find the flood tunnels. They think they're going to be able to block them off. Uh, all I can say is from my years of reading about Oak Island history and treasure hunting history, good luck with that, boys. <laughs> anyway, we start to see a lot of um, dirt getting pulled out and... Uh, 
you know, maybe getting a little softer, but no wood. Then at, I think they said 107 feet. Now these are usually 10 or 107 feet. These are usually 10 foot zones, 107 being the deepest. So it might be somewhere in between 97 and 107. They find the wood that they're looking for. In fact, they find two pieces which appear to be separated. So it looks like it was one on top of the other. And um, from the way this... It looks here and the way this would have been pulled up and all this kind of stuff. Terry thinks what might have happened here is we would have had these two pieces of wood that were separated by, it's hard to tell at this point what it is, but as they drilled through the two of them, basically collapsed one on top of the other. So maybe they went through the top of a tunnel and then through the bottom of the tunnel and the top of the tunnel then crashed down on top of the bottom of the tunnel. Um, they start to think that, well, let me just mention this. It was amazing to me that they could still smell the pine off the wood. Terry's smelling the wood as it goes by. He's like, you still smell that pine, you know? Um, that's amazing to me if it's down there for any length of time that you'd still be able to smell pine on it like that. Uh, Terry thinks it looks old. This is fascinating for sure. Um, you know, I've always felt, and people ask me this before about this. I've always felt this project, this idea of being able to cut off the flood tunnels has failed so many times before because people don't really have an understanding of what really happened here, of where the tunnels go, of what they looked like. There's They talk about these tunnels as if they have a lot of information on what they look like, but they really don't. There really is very little to go by here. So people have been trying to do this and they've been trying this with very um, little information really to go on. Um, you know, Rick then brings Dan Hensky out there to take a look, and Rick says something here, quote, it doesn't get any better than that. And what he meant by this, and I think it gets a little weird, is because in this place where they're looking to find something, uh, they're, they're sure, I guess they're sure, there's no searcher here, certainly not any evidence, you know, two pieces of wood on top of each other, certainly not evidence of a searcher shaft. It's something else. So it is you know, kind of crazy to find this here. This is not from Dunfield. Um, you know, it's not a shaft that was built in the past to cut off the flood. I mean, it could be a piece of that, I guess. Uh, but it is really a fascinating find. And is this what the flood tunnels look like? It'd be interesting to see. Uh, and then they start to talk about maybe by doing this, they cut the flood tunnel off. Again, good luck with that, guys. Not like I haven't heard that one before. All right, so let's go to the swamp. We, just, we thought that we were done with the swamp, but we're not. They're wrapping up work here, swamp. And they mentioned that a couple of times. And there was even a mention of government entanglement, but I'm going to let it slide. Uh, there's a bunch of guys working over here. Michael John pulls out a piece of wood that is, at first glance, looked to me to be clearly shaped. Uh, and maybe, from the glance, even finished a little bit. But that gets less so in a second. Because fast forward to a war room meeting a few, you know, a, a little while later in the show, and uh, you have the group gathering there to get carbon dating information. Now, Marty has the piece of wood and he asks Billy if he's certain that it is shaped. Now, Billy kind of indicates yes in sort of a roundabout way, but I gotta say, after cleaning it up, 
Uh, and showing it now here in this picture, it certainly seems less so to me that that is obvious than when he first pulled it out, which could be the result of it being wet and it being darker. But you look at it now and it just kind of looks like a broken off piece of wood. Hard to really say. Um, but anyway, the time frame comes off as 224 to 376 AD. And there's some question about that's a 95% uh, possibility rate, right? Yeah, yes, it is. I just want to explain what that means. That means that um, there's 95% chance that it'll show up in that, that this comes from that time frame. It doesn't mean that the other 4% <laughs> means it came from 1985. Okay, it means that that's the closest time frame, the 95 percentiles. It could be off, you know, a few decades in either direction of that 224 to 376, but not centuries. Okay. Now, at this point, Brian on the Patreon says, um, How is the date range of 224 to 376 AD possible? If it's possible, Brian, because if this was just a natural piece of wood, or maybe, uh, you know, something used by indigenous peoples at the time, or it's just a piece of wood washed up from Lord knows how far away. Wood, especially wood, a little tiny piece like this, floats for thousands of miles. Thousands. <laughs> I have to say, uh, um, as opposed to what they're trying to do, which is to make this dating make it sound like this was, you know, very mysterious... The dating really kind of led me to believe that this wasn't anything more than just a natural piece of wood found that in its state and here after being maybe even cut in half by a giant digger there, um, you know, isn't anything more than just a natural piece there. That's kind of what that dating said to me, you know. Now, Steve on the Patreon said Phoenicians and others were hitting North America way before Columbus or the early First Nations people, uh, what it might be, what a crazy story this island holds. And, you know, you're correct. I just, I'm not sure this piece of wood does that, but all the possibilities are on the table. Um, but in my mind, the most likely one, um, let me put it this way. We can't ignore the most likely scenario for something like this in favor of the most fantastic, right? That's just not the way you hunt for things. That's not how you investigate. Um, Alex says, um, quote, that doesn't match anything else that we have. Talking about the dating. Uh, and that could be the smartest thing said in this conversation. It really was. Uh, Alex is 100% right. It makes no sense. It doesn't fit into anything. Uh, it, and like I said, it, in my mind, this means just throw it away. You know, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't apply. It's not, it's not anything. Um, Jack asks how this date could be related to the treasure. And Marty says, again, another great line. You got to come up with some convoluted answer call, uh, answer because the dates are so weird. And, and I think what we as fans of the show and people who are serious into like analyzing the evidence they give us, we shouldn't be in the business of trying to come up with convoluted answers. And that's the one thing I always try to keep in my mind. You know, I, I, I'm not here to create possibilities. I'm here to examine possibilities presented to me by evidence. Finding a piece of wood that may or may not be hand, hand manipulated, man manipulated, probably isn't in a date range of the third and fourth centuries. Uh, you know, again, 
you got to come up with a convoluted reason why that would apply, and I just don't think there's any point in that. Um, but there is some really interesting info given at the end of this. Um, they talk about how they're hoping to get many of these pieces of wood that they've been finding in the swamp further tested, tested for their origin or tested for what species of wood they are. Um, that would be fascinating information. And a lot of people have asked, why haven't they done this? Uh, I get that question quite a bit. And the answer was given here in sort of a quick sentence that somebody said. The place that does this is the University of Alaska, but they haven't, for pandemic reasons, been able to do this. I'm not sure what it is. They don't go into that any any more than that. That's the answer we're given. So hopefully we might get this information before the end of the season. That might be asking for a lot. Who knows? Because that would be really amazing information to get for sure. All right, so that's it for this episode of Digging Oak Island. Thank you so much for for uh, downloading and listening. Shameless plug time. I'm DJing on WDVR-FM Wednesday afternoons between 2 and 5 p.m. Uh, from 2 to 4, I do a show called the Bourbon Street Bistro. We'll play the music of New Orleans. And then from 4 to 5, do a show called Island Vibes. Play a little kind of tropical feel music to you for you. If you're in the uh, western New Jersey, eastern Pennsylvania area, you can listen on 89.7 FM. Or if you're in the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania, you can listen on uh, 90.5 WPNJ. It comes out of Easton. Uh, or if you're not in that area, you can always listen Wednesday afternoons, 2 to 5 p.m. on WDVRFM.org. Apparently, you can also tell Alexa to turn on WDVR. So come and join me then. It's always it's a great show. It's an all-volunteer community radio station. Um, and it's really been my such a pleasure of mine to be able to do this. It's been so much fun. Uh, don't forget to come and join us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, just go to your search bar, put in at Diggin' Oak Island. Uh, also, if you are enjoying the podcast, uh, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to everybody who's done that already. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to do that, and uh, especially for the kind words that you've given us. Um, don't forget, if you really want to help out the show, you can become a patron. Uh, if you think we're worth $5 a month to you, then head over to patreon.com slash island to learn more. And again, if you have any questions or comments that you want to send directly to me, you can do so easy enough. island at gmail.com. As I always say, keep in mind, if you send me an email or even direct message on social media, most likely I'm going to answer it here on a future podcast. Uh, so if you don't want your message read aloud to the listening audience, just make a note of that for me and I'll do my best to answer you when I can. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Digging Oak Island.